Welcome back to Recorded Conversations, the podcast that's dedicated to compassionately considering all perspectives while engaging in authentic, connected dialogue. I'm Danielle Kingstrom. Last week, blog hosting site Patheos, the site where I blog, published an article that piqued my curiosity. It's called The Positives of Purity Culture. The author is Matthew Stefano. In it, he writes, surprise, there are none. And that's the article. And I mean, that's dismaying, right? That's, you know, it's a sarcastic, simplistic reduction of practices that have been implemented into our society. You can look at the purity culture narrative and say there's nothing positive out of it. You could also say, but there's a silver lining in every reason that those puritanical practices were incited in the first place. And we do that because when we are becoming a more conscious individual, when we want to stay focused on operating on a frequency of love rather than a frequency of fear, we let go of that need for duality. We let go of that need for comparison. We let go of that need to judge underdeveloped, immature practices, such as found under the constructs of this purity culture narrative that the Christian circles have been implementing into their spreading of the good news over 2,000 years. And so I react to this, right? Like physically, I react. I have this whole like, really? Is that all you're going to say? And then I thought, okay, if there's nothing good to say about the purity culture, then why don't we start tackling some of the ideas that are under that purity culture label and see if there's a way that we can reconstruct those ideas into something more developed and more conscious and more awakened and more in alignment with 
you know, the beliefs we hold today versus the beliefs that we used to hold previous to our awakening consciousness, religious deconstruction, break away from evangelicalism, rejection of Christianity and churchianity, okay? And so while I'm okay with this idea of going, this is bad, this is bad, this is bad, this was bad, this was bad, this was bad, I would, I would rather try and find a more constructive way to look at a practice that I find to be problematic and see if I can't figure out how to wake it up, how to wake it up into the conscious modernity of now, right? In my present moment, how can I take a practice of virginity and sex before marriage and reach out to people not to encourage them, or even shame them into having sex or forcing them or convincing them. But to going back down to the root of the idea and saying, why do you believe that this is something you should value? Not because I don't trust you, but have you thought about it? Because the reality is a, a lot of our practices, a lot of even just our habitual routine things that we do every day, we don't think about them, right? And so if we don't think about them, they're, they're not something that is ever kind of in the forefront of a needs development, right? And so we go through the hustle and the bustle of, oh my God, everything I believed about God is, I have to think about that now. And, and we start breaking down these constructs and we start peeling back the labels to see what's really there. And a lot of times under a label, there's nothing there, right? Except a fear. And we acknowledge, oh, you know, uh, the purity ring thing, the purity promise, eh, that's, that's not good. And what is it teaching kids? And we find out and expose, right, to the light, all these bad practices, all these patriarchal practices, all these controlling practices, all these practices that are rooted in capitalism or corporatism and transaction and wealth, and right? And so we want to reject these ideas and we want to reject these practices, and we say out loud, I reject these practices. And maybe we try and be more mindful about when things come to surface in our purview and conversation, or we are less quick to hurry up and judge something and label it and be dismissive of it. We can reject these practices ver verbally, but do we reject them habitually? Are we rejecting the patterns? And are we also acknowledging how those patterns actually branch into all of the ways in which we interact with people. And so if you grew up thinking sex was bad, sex was dirty, masturbation is a sin, oral sex is a no-no, you need to be a virgin before you're married so you can prove your purity and your worth and your value and that you're unsoiled and unstained, right? And porn in Christianity is like a no-no, right? So if you're a good Christian, you definitely are not consuming any porn. And if you're a good Christian, you are, you are heterosexual, right? And you don't have any non-normative ideas or positions or orientations, right? And we don't talk about fantasy because that's sexual deviancy and that's along the terms of porn. And again, Christians and church and we, 
the only time we hear about porn is when a pastor or someone in the church is admitting that they realized it was this addiction and this sin, and so they're confessing their sins, and they want to be cleansed of this demon, of this this demon of porn that has control over them, right? And so that's the only time we have these kinds of conversations, but still with this negative context over it. And continue to point at it and say, look, these are bad. These are horrible ideas. These are reckless ideas. These are problematic ideas. These are these are extreme ideas that perpetuate shame and judgment. But what are we doing to change those influences of those practices we were brought up with and how we are going moment to moment in our daily lives, right? And so again, if you were brought up to believe any of these new things, well, you know, masturbation, oh my God, I have a million. What happens when your partner, your good Christian partner, wants you guys to mutually masturbate with one another? I mean, are you talking about that? Are you going back and forth wondering if Jesus is watching you and is this a sin? I mean, you may not use that terminology, but you still might be hesitant to do it. And, and you know, oral sex and porn and fantasy and masturbation and even queerness, these are all kind of subtle forms of curiosity and creative expression, right? So if we just consider for a moment how, you know, the normative desire that comes to be within a marriage or a long-term relationship is things start to get dull in the bedroom and I want to try new things and I want to spice it up and, you know, I want to have fun. Curiosity comes into play. Well, now you have all these programs that have been influencing all of your decision-making processes. And that includes not only sexual practices, but the way you relate to people. The, the levels of intimacy that you're willing to peel back for other people. All of these things, these programs, these purity culture ideas, they, they kind of branch into everything. And so the way that we relate to certain people, the people we're willing to keep as company, as our friends, a lot of this choice has to do with these subconscious influences that are still entangled. And we don't know how to prune away at them. We don't know how to pull all of those rotted roots out of the system to try and regenerate and reorganize what kind of more developed and conscious program we want to initiate into our lives. And so what do we do? We want to stop using the labels and we want to just stop with the whole, I have to identify this as a bad practice because... Instead of seeing the practice for what it was and why it was implemented in the first place, we are just seeing this as bad, 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 bad. But that program's already running in your operating system telling you that anything like this or anything that branches from this is also bad. And so we are just reaffirming the program with this negative affirmation without even realizing it. And so I would like us to step away from being careful to identify what is good and what is bad and ask ourselves first, what is pleasurable for me? And how many of us have actually asked that question? What do I really like? Now, I know there are far more people out there than people care to admit that are having really great awakened conscious sex, okay? But they're not 
sharing their stories with people because especially in the Christian circles, especially when you start talking about universalism and there is no hell and and all will be saved, there's still that taboo line that we tow when it comes to talking about sex because there's so many potentialities of sex to be exploited, abused, and coerced out of people even in the name of Jesus. And so we don't like to talk about those things and we much rather think that people would prefer to not talk about those things because we've all been told that we don't talk about these things. And now, instead of actually talking about what we need to talk about, so many of these deconstruction post-Christianity bloggers and speakers and writers, all they want to do is focus on the label at hand and calling it bad. And here are the Bible quotes that I've broken down and retranslated for you to understand that, in fact, this Bible verse does not condemn homosexuality. This Bible verse does not condemn this or that or masturbation, actually. And want to take you back to re-understand the scripture to let you know why these things aren't bad. But again, nobody is giving you a developed method or practice to now implement so that you can help internal deprogramming begin. Does that make sense? I don't care how many books they've published. I don't care how many speaking tours they've done. I don't care if they're on 20 podcasts. I really don't. I don't care how many downloads they have. Too many of you Christian people with a microphone and a pen are doing no justice to an erotic theology, to an erotic understanding of God, to a kenotic understanding of God. In fact, what you're doing, and I don't know if you've been paying attention to this, but you're using the same prescriptions that you're claiming to condemn to reaffirm why these ideas are bad. You're like, no, this is bad. No, this is bad. These people are bad. That's exactly what your evangelical circles were doing that you allege. That's exactly what you think is toxic about Christianity. The people that get up there at their podiums in front of their parishioners and tell them what is bad. You're doing the same exact thing. With that in mind and taking account that you're not putting in the time and energy to actually understand eroticism, do you think that you're helping people? Like, do you believe that you're helping people if you're just repeating the same kinds of of rhetoric that you claim did such a disservice to Christianity in the first place. I bet you don't. I bet you don't see that. We don't see that we become the monster that we are fighting. And so you're becoming the monster that you claim to be fighting by becoming a new monster and calling all these other people bad. And that's not what the erotic is about. That's not helpful for people to embody their sexual identity. I know you want to be a megaphone for the people that you think have been left behind or have been excluded. I get that because I'm right there with you. I I have queer children. I am stepping into my... uh, uh, a new realm of my own understanding of sexuality within my marriage. We are exploring other avenues and what sexuality really is and how we can fully embody eroticism by stepping outside of the confines. So I'm with you, right? I am on your side and we're all on the same side, okay? So I'm with you and I want to help people 
better understand why excluding certain groups of people from a belief and an understanding and and the downpouring of love and grace and mercy that God has promised to all of us. I want everyone to feel that. But we don't do that by turning around and excluding different people. We don't need to be the people that make sure the last are the first and the first are the last. That happens later on. That happens for God. That's not our job. Pointing our finger at people and putting the bad label on them is not our job. What is our job is to see what is bad and to not imitate it, okay? So for all of you bloggers and podcasters out there that have claimed to have spent all of this time understanding and researching and studying mimetic theory, take a clue, okay? We don't have to imitate the negative behavior that we don't like in order to get somebody to understand why the negative behavior is bad. That's just completely counterproductive and you're still inside the box that you claim to have deconstructed out of. I just want to implore people to say, let's stop focusing on the duality. Let's stop focusing on labeling things as bad and let's start helping people have conversations about sex, about practices, about new things they've done with their partner. Let's normalize Jesus and sex. Let's normalize, right? That's the, that's the word that's going around, the new normal. Let's normalize things. For so long, so many things were not normalized. So many things were rejected. So many people were excluded. So what we want to stay away from is that narrative, the fear frequency narrative, the exclusionary separatist narrative, the narrative that has to label things as good or bad. Because as we awaken, as we deconstruct, as we pull away from these constructs and these programs and these influences that make us almost perform like little robots, we also need to let go of the need to be so judgy with the black and white. Because God and the erotic exist in the gray. And it is our worldly obsession with narrowing things down and comparing and contrasting for competition, for the sake of hierarchy. These are the ideas that distract us from what our true purpose is. These are the, the frequencies that seduce us away from the love frequency. So we are in the atmosphere of the gray. And what we find in the gray is so much more color than imaginable. And so we don't have to judge. We don't have to label things as black and white. The erotic doesn't do that. The erotic is evolving. It's expanding. It's like the universe. It's energy. Energy doesn't need to be labeled as good or bad. What takes that energy into different frequencies is whether or not it's guided by love or fear. And oftentimes we just don't know what fear looks like. But we do know that fear was a tool utilized to hammer down these purity prescriptions that have impacted toxically, right? And the reason that we call it toxic, it's not just some surface term to make sure that you know it's bad, but it's toxic because it seeps in and it blends in with the fabric of our reality, And so what I keep coming back to is how we don't realize that these prescriptions still lay in this kind of background programming and impact and infect every way we relate to everything. Okay, so what do I mean by that? All right. 
One thing that I started to recognize was that when I was willing to give my husband more space to share sexual fantasies and and sexual curiosities with me, what happened was my mind opened up to the potential that I had might have been looking at everything a little too squeamishly. Okay? So I came from that I came from that post-evangelical influence of the Proverbs 31 woman and Beth Moore and in trying to be this good godly woman, be prudent. And I thought that meant to be, you know, overtly modest. I thought that meant to be, you know, someone who covered my body. And then that turned into like feeling ashamed of my body, thinking my body was dirty, thinking that my body was responsible for sin because it evoked these ideas of lust and sexual desire and sexual fantasy. And that must have been my fault. Like I literally thought those things. And so when I hear other people's stories about that, yeah, going back in those moments, those were heavy moments. Those were experiences where I was letting my thoughts kind of dole out on the fear frequency instead of the love frequency. Instead of thinking, my husband wouldn't ask me to do these things or or share his desires with me if he thought it would harm me right? He wouldn't do this to hurt my feelings or to make me feel bad. He did it because he trusted me to not judge him. And then I started thinking, what if all these other people that I used to say crept into my DMs like little perverts, what if these people were reaching out to me, searching for someone to be able to hold the space for them and their thoughts without judgment? And then I thought, isn't that what Jesus was teaching us, right? And, and judge not lest ye be judged, right? And I think all the ways in which I judge other people are ways that I have judged myself. So what are we doing? Well, in the erotic realm, there's no judgment. There's no need for it. There's no need for judgment. Discernment is key. I discern whether or not this is pleasurable. I discern whether or not I like this. I discern whether or not this feels good. Eroticism is an energy that is fueled by love and grace and compassion. These are fundamental to an erotic relationship. And when I talk about erotic relationship, again, not sexual, but intimate, connected, fully multidimensional, and effortless and free, Okay, and we take turns sharing space with each other. We take turns emptying ourselves for each other, right? Uh, Simone Weil wrote, wrote about how true kenosis is when you completely empty yourself so that you can allow the other to penetrate you. That's true attention, I should say. And I think about, well, isn't that what Jesus was giving to other people was this true attention where it wasn't his ego. It wasn't his teachings. It wasn't his wants and desires that was filling the space between him and another person. It was completely open. And that other person's entire essence could just penetrate Jesus. That's why he knew their hearts. He opened up and gave them space. He welcomed them in as himself and all he offered was love, grace, and compassion. 
And when we're, we do that with our partners, right? That's what an erotic relationship is about. But our relationships with our partners are supposed to be another foundation and application for how we open ourselves up to other people. Like that's the, that's the, 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 the numero uno relationship model. And that's what we're supposed to spread outward. Now, again, I always have to remind people, this doesn't mean we fuck our neighbor, but loving our neighbor means that we are willing to remove all of who we are and what we want and what we desire and just remain open for the penetration of another. We can't do that if we're looking at people as labels and bad or toxic. If we put these labels over people, we're pulling them out of the erotic space. And now we're not even trying to engage them erotically. And I think that's just such a waste of energy. And I think that's what Jesus did. He engaged everyone erotically, fully, from physical, emotional, mental, sexual, and spiritual natures that make us who we are. That's how we heal the wounds of the purity practices and narratives that have infected us, that have seeped into the roots, that have created this horrible root rot, that have infected all of the ways in which we relate to everybody. I'm talking our dogs, okay? I'm talking our kids. I'm talking our in-laws. I'm talking our cousins. I'm talking coworkers. I'm talking co-hosts with podcasters or, or shows. I'm talking the way we interact with everybody, If we don't start digging out that root rot, we're going to continue to spread that toxic purity narrative throughout all of our ongoing interactions and nothing heals. And we really can't begin a reconstruction of any kind. We can't start flapping our wings after we've broken out of our chrysalis because we're going to have this weight of this wet subconscious underlying background programs still running the protocols and fucking with the way we interact with people. Sometimes we just need to be called out. And I want to call people out not to condemn you, not to point my finger at you. I'm not condescending you. I'm saying I expect more out of you because I know that there's more in you. There's more in all of us. But When we go around and use the same faulty programs that we claim to have a problem with as the way that we present the problem, all we're doing is repeating the same stupid cycle of fuckery and nobody is evolving erotically. So in my next podcast, I want to address some of these top purity ideas I want to talk about the idea of sex before marriage. I want to talk about masturbation, oral sex, open marriages, infidelity, porn use, the modest is hottest narrative, fantasy, virginity, and queerness and homosexuality. I want to talk about all these things and I want to give you, I want to give you a new idea to consider implementing so you can kind of work out and dig out that root rot of those underlying narratives that are still at play in the way that you respond and receive everyone, including your partner. I'm just going to share with you some ideas that help me 
from other people, other people's advice, just things I learned for myself as well, in hopes that maybe something is a little bit of a nugget that will help nourish whatever it is that you're struggling with within your erotic relationships as they are. Thank you for joining me on another episode of Recorded Conversations. I want to remind you all that I do have an OnlyFans account where I offer erotic embodiment advising. Um, I share with you just whatever I'm thinking about, what I'm working on, questions I receive from other people who kind of want some anonymity but a little bit of advice. And remind you again that until December 3rd, until my 40th birthday, you can subscribe and get all of this information plus some fun photos. I just ordered some really cute little Santa outfits that I'm going to um, share on my OnlyFans. So OnlyFans slash Naked Tree Advisor for more stuff over there, more videos, content, all of that good stuff. $5 a month right now. After December 3rd, price goes up to $12 a month. As always, I thank you for compassionately considering the perspective of someone else. And enjoy your December. December.